Hello friends, and welcome to So Poetry Reviews. Um, this week took a kind of roller coaster uh, pivot on me right at the end here. Um, I'm recording this on a Friday night. Um, so there are a couple of things that I would like to kind of talk about or maybe mention before getting to the review itself. Um, I will try to do this as quickly and as streamlined as possible. There's a kind of a couple of different threads that I will hopefully cinch together um, at the end before getting to the review. So just kind of <laughs> hopefully, hopefully just hang in there. Um, so people, uh, if you were listening and have listened to uh, or have been listening to the, the podcast for a while, um, have probably heard me mention that I identify as a gender. Um, I am also white and uh, male-bodied, um, so I have been, I think, the beneficiary of uh, people's assumptions and the privilege that has kind of come along with that because I ostensibly look like uh, a white dude who I assume... I imagine that people assume that I'm also uh, cis-hetero. Um, so that's something that's been uh, not very far away from uh, my thoughts lately. Um, and it's something that I actively try to, or I've actively been, actively been trying to um, sort of deal with in the inclusivity and the sort of like representation uh, for both so poetry and so poetry reviews. Um, I try to get a wide swath of guests, um, you know, it's, it's different peoples, different genders, different orientations, you know, beliefs, whatever. Um, and with the books that I review, um, I, well, so originally the So Poetry Reviews was going to be a means for me to get through the sort of massive stack of uh, poetry books that I have that are a combination of things to be read and things that I've just sort of had for a while but never really got into uh, to decide whether or not I want to hold on to it or, you know, give it to, um, there's a, a free used bookstore in Baltimore called The Book Thing, which is amazing. I, I went there a couple weekends ago for the first time, and it's just, you can deposit books, you can walk in, you can take as many books as you want, and you can leave, and then that's, that, that's the transaction. That's the entire thing. There's no payment, there's no nothing. You just walk in there, you find a bunch of books you want to take, you bring, take them with you, and then if you're done with them, you just you pass them on. Um, so I have a stack of books that I mean, I recently got rid of a, a, a bunch of books that I've been meaning to, to uh, ease on down the road, as it were. Um, but the stack of... I was, looking at, I was looking through my big stack of poetry books that I, I have been meaning to read and, and, you know, the things that I was going to review for so poetry reviews. And the vast majority of them are written by white dudes, um, which is... I imagine at least one of the reasons why they're, they're hanging out in the stack. Um, I tend to not really uh, attach a whole lot with uh, ma white male poets. There are some, but by and large... So anyway, um, 
being being inclusive and being representational and being diverse is something, at least within the context of this, is something that I've, I've been thinking about. Um, and in relationship to my own sort of positioning and like what my presentation is and what like what spaces I occupy given that presentation and like I said before the assumptions and the sort of privilege that those assumptions that those assumptions um, afford me um, which leads me to uh, there was a uh, fellowship that I saw recently that um, looked like in an absolutely amazing opportunity I was incredibly excited to apply for it I felt like I um, I was of the things that I've applied to, maybe the best qualified, not, not that I am the best qualified for the position, but of the things that I've applied to recently, I felt like I, I have never been more prepared to apply to something before. Um, it's a like one to two year intensive, um, essentially like crash course in professional publishing, uh, with a publisher that is just amazing. Um, I spent all week working on it. I, I, you know, I wrote a sort of in-depth cover letter. I had to write a writing sample, which will sort of lead into the, the book that I'm reviewing today. Um, you know, I read through the, uh, the guidelines and the sort of instruction, the application instructions for it, probably no, no fewer than like 15 times. Um, and last night, as I, after I once over you know, all of my application materials and went to submit it, uh, saw for the first time that the fellowship was opened um, with the intention of uh, providing an opportunity to, to sort of break into the publishing world for people that have uh, traditionally not had a whole lot of access to that world. So minorities, members of the LGBTQ plus community, people uh, with disabilities. Um, and upon seeing that, I suddenly felt like I was in a space that I didn't know if I actually belonged in. Um, because I am not a minority, um, I am able-bodied, and I would consider myself maybe at best like LGBTQ sort of adjacent. I'm, I may have mentioned this on various, on other episodes, um, previous episodes that, um, I'm not really sure where I fit in like the LGBTQ umbrella being, um, a gender. Um, I think that like if you use queer as the sort of umbrella term, um, I'm, I'm probably underneath that umbrella, but I'm not really sure where I fit, um, and it was, this was, this is the, the roller coaster that I experienced last night, it was the sort of, all of, all of this excitement and all this expectation and sort of cautious hope that I was letting get a little, uh, away from me, and then feeling like I was, I, I was in a space that I'm not sure if, if I, should be and given um, sort of like who and how I am um, and it I don't it was there was disappointment on my part just because there have been some things recently that I've applied to that I've gotten close to and this was a thing 
that I thought was going to be, you know, I maybe had a little bit more hope of it being not just an almost thing. Um, but sort of in a, in a bigger sense, the fact that, uh, so the publisher is, is Milkweed Editions. Um, the fact that Milkweed Editions started this fellowship to specifically um, give an opportunity for people that have traditionally not had this opportunity is amazing. And it, I, it makes the fellowship all the more cooler in my eyes. Um, and I don't know, it's just, I, just thinking about, I'm in, especially with like, with pride coming up too, you know, it's like, I've, I've been thinking a lot about this stuff that like, as much as it's something that I, I would like to get thinking about like, well, the optics of an ostensibly white male person getting a fellowship that is designed for people that don't look like me, um, it would be weird and, you know, like, I I sort of hit a little minor depression of, you know, like, that I my chances for it are obviously, you know, probably not super great. Um, so I, like, I was riding this sort of high all week and then I hit this sort of plateau. Um, but I, regardless of all of that, um, and keeping in mind that there were, you know, like that I didn't waste my time and doing the application for for this thing. That you know, any any anything like this, the more that you do it, the more experience that you get, and the more that you can take to the, the sort of next opportunity. Um, like I, it's it was maybe backtracking a little bit. Um, it was just it was weird for me to to feel like I was in a place that I, like, I was taking up space or potentially taking air away from, from people who were, um, maybe more the, the target for this thing. Um, and I, because it was an open submission, you know, like, I don't, I don't feel like I, so also full disclosure, I, I wound up applying for it sort of just anyway, because I figured that I'd done the work, you know, I don't know, I don't, know if there's any harm for me applying, but that was a, a tough decision that I, I really, I struggled with for the the majority of the night last night. Um, and then after I submitted it, really sort of wrestled with, did I, did I make the right decision? Because it's an, it's an open submission. I don't feel like I was necessarily taking a spot away from anybody. And, you know, like if my application doesn't meet the criteria, then you know, it's very easy to just put that in the discard pile. Um, but just sort of arriving at that moment and thinking about like, is this an insensitive act on my part? Is this a thing that like, am I, I don't know, just wondering if, if the, the fact that I actually submitted to it like what does that what does that say about me? What does it say about like the the oppor the opportunities that I that I would want, or you know maybe sort of selfishness that this is a thing that I I would I still would like to maybe have a chance at getting. Is that the privilege? Is that my privilege speaking saying instead of moving aside and not even going through the application to you know like not like I said not take up space or not take air away from. Um, from just people who are 
are more in line with who Milkweed Editions are, are looking for to, to fill this role. Um, also thinking that, you know, in... I'm hoping that maybe not burning any bridges or any future dealings with, with Milkweed have maybe soured. I'm hoping that, that no future dealings with Milkweed have soured because of this. I mean, I imagine that with the number of people that have applied to it, you know, like one application is, is probably going to be minuscule in the amount of things that they got. But, I mean, with with the amount of care that they put into the other things that they do, I imagine that they will treat all of the applications with care, which makes me, you know, like feel even shittier that they will have now again have to take time to read this thing, to read this application that may or may not necessarily be in there. It should be in there. I don't know. But so dealing and processing with, with that, um, things that I've been thinking about wanting to be honest, sort of just emotionally kind of where I am right now. Um, but regardless of all of that, um, I'm really, really excited that, you know, regardless of, of my own uh, conflict in applying, um, I know that the, the fellowship is going to go to someone who is um, really, um, really qualified and really deserving, and I'm excited for whoever gets that opportunity to have that opportunity. That, you know, it's like this is a... It's a sort of a dream gig for two years, and you know, like, as as much as there's that that sort of selfish desire of like, fuck, I wish it was me. There is also a competing, and I, as, at least for right now, it's it's having a sort of a, a the better part of a full day to kind of process this. Um, there is the that excitement and that. Um, I don't know that hope for whoever does get it that it that it is a thing that um, turns out to be a really really wonderful experience. Um, all of which leads me to the book <laughs> that I'm I'm going to review uh, this episode, uh, which was not actually the book that I had intended to review uh, for this month's episode. But you know, things <laughs> typically go this way for me that uh, something will come up and. I'm like, yeah, that's that's what I need to do. But uh, as I mentioned, there was a, a writing sample element to the uh, Milkweed Editions Fellowship application. Uh, and the writing sample was to write about a book that changed the way that you viewed or you saw yourself, your community, or the world. Um, and I decided to write about Mary Oliver's Redbird. Um and I was thinking about this actually on, on my way to work this morning as I was sort of uh, outlining the introduction, uh, a rough introduction to this episode, um, that this is also, I guess, sort of, you know, maybe in, in honor of pride too, because um, for a long, long time, uh, Mary Oliver flew under the radar for me as someone who I thought was like anything but heteronormative. Um, but she uh, had a long, long-term partner uh, named, oh, geez, Mallory Malone Cook, I believe, who was a, a photographer who, like, they were together for years and years and years, and I think most of uh, Oliver's books were dedicated to her. Um, but it's something that I didn't find out until a couple of years ago when I was reading one of their, uh, I think it was a, like a memoir about their life that Oliver wrote. Um, 
which shocked me. Well, maybe not shocked. Surprised me, I think, is maybe a, a better verb. It, it surprised me, but it... I don't know. It, it made... I feel like reading her, her poetry, there was maybe some sense of it somewhere. I don't know. But anyway, um, again, for those of you who have listened to my podcast um, or listened to some version of this podcast before, um, have know that I name drop Mary Oliver on an almost constant basis. Um, she is one of my all-time favorite poets um, and my, uh, like my first love as a, as a poet. Um, and Redbird was actually so. Redbird was actually the the first uh, collection of poetry that I that I picked up and read on under my own volition. Um, so uh, this will be a sort of very quick run through of, of the 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 points of my um, my writing sample. Uh, so I guess I was maybe maybe midway through undergrad. Um, this was back in maybe 2008, 2009-ish, maybe, well, maybe 2000, I don't know, somewhere between 2007 and 2008, because the book itself was published, I think, in 2008, so when I picked it up, I guess it was probably freshly published, um, but I, uh, had recently transferred schools, uh, I started out undergrad as a music major. I finished it as a English major with a concentration in creative writing. Um, I at the time I had, and I guess I kind of maybe still do, um, had sort of two main things that I thought that I was good enough to like maybe make a career out of. Um, I started out with music; it was one of them. College with music didn't pan out, so I was like, "Well, I only got one other thing that I can do, and that's writing." I guess. Um, so at the time, I was writing things that I, like had some semblance of being poetry. Um, I was uh, maybe so up up until 2007, 2008. I was very, very devoutly Christian um, of the of an evangelical persuasion. Um, but towards the the end, I I I, I, fuck, I don't remember if it was 2008 or 2009, but um, so. Th- Towards, it was towards the end of, finding this book was towards the end of, of my stint with Christianity, but some, some cracks had begun to show up and some splinters had begun to show up. Um, the, I guess the dogma of evangelical Christianity didn't have as, as tight of a stranglehold on me as it did when I was very, very young. Uh, but up to that point, uh, I viewed my writing as a literally God-given talent. Uh, whenever I, I wrote poetry, I felt like it was God, you know, writing through me, giving me words. I felt divinely inspired, for lack of a better term. And most of my poetry, although at this time it had begun to shift, but most of my most of the poetry that I wrote was either uh, thinly veiled Christian allegories or uh, more obtuse Christian allegories, but it was very heavily Christianly imaged. Um, and aside from the poetry that I read for my English classes, classes and the sort of, I guess, like the revision and process that I did for my own poetry, I didn't really read it. 
uh, at all. I didn't really kind of understand the, the motions of it. Um, I had had enough exposure to uh, surmise sort of two things. Uh, one, Elliot was a bit of a tool. And two, I found the most sort of enjoyment and kinship with the capital R romantic poets, uh, specifically Wordsworth and Blake. I really enjoyed Wordsworth a whole lot. Um, I appreciated Blake because of his, his dealings with Christianity, but the sort of flex and the pushing and the like esoteric Gnosticism that he was bringing into it. Um, but aside from that, like I, I really had... I had no... no like living or passionate connection with with reading poetry with seeking poetry out um it it felt more or less like a job to me or like a thing of academic study that you know it just it was just there was a there was a wide gap between a sort of personal investment in poetry um but at the time, as I still want to do now, um, I enjoyed being at bookstores. Um, there's a, I don't know, there's a weird presence in bookstores that I appreciate. Uh, and I happened to be uh, at the local Barnes and Nobles. I was wandering around through the stacks. I wound up on the poetry section. And I don't know what possessed me to pull out Redbird from among the other things on the shelf and, and thumb through it and you know, land on, um, I really do, I think I read the first poem, which is a, a, the eponymous poem of the collection, um, and it just stopped me in my tracks, and I don't, I don't think, I honestly don't remember, but I don't think that I read any, any more when I was in Barnes and Nobles, um, I think that I read the first poem, was floored by it, and then bought it, and then went home and just devoured it, um, but yeah, I don't know, I don't know what, what made me pick it up um it i think i feel like it was just random chance but given how much of an influence oliver has had on on my life and my my poetry writing um it's difficult to not believe or adhere a little bit that it was fate um but yeah so um redbird was my first interaction with with oliver um, and I, I feel like I can say now, after having read most of the other collections that she's published, um, it is not my favorite collection of hers. I think my two favorite collections of hers are uh, House of Light and Dreamwork. Um, I'm, not, I'm not really sure why. I feel like I should maybe explore this a little more in my own time. Um, they feel... I don't, maybe it's like the closest to where my writing is right now. Um, and as my writing grows and changes, you know, throughout, um, as my writing grows and changes throughout my life, I'm, I'm curious if different collections of hers will take sort of center stage for me. Um, because that for a long time, it was Redbird was my favorite collection of hers. And I started reading more and I started picking up other, other books of hers. Um, but I think I want to say that it was published when she was into her seventies. Um, so this is this is one of her later collections, and uh, I don't know how old she was when she did House of Light or Dreamwork. But they they feel um, a little 
more serious, like a little more straight up and down, sort of wandery nature poems, uh, which I appreciate. Uh, Redbird, there's... A, it's weird. It feels like there's a little more looseness in how she... in some of the, the structure and the sort of... the... Uh, like the energy and the, the sort of flow of the poems. Um, but there are also some f- like fairly overt um, political poems in, in Redbird, which the first time that I read it, I didn't pick up on really at all. I, I read through, um, geez, in like a, like probably <laughs> like an hour, maybe an hour and a half um, earlier this week, I read through the entire collection again. And there are some poems in there that really that were having spent as much time with Oliver as I have, although I guess spent as much time with a, a small, small um, segment of her work, kind of surprised me in, in that she would, she would go to, to some of the places that she went. Um, the one in particular that, I, that sort of caught me off guard was uh, Iraq. Um, which I will read. There were a couple in, that I wanted to read. This was not one of them, but any any uh, any opportunity or excuse that I have to read a, a poem of Oliver's, I will take. Uh, so this is Iraq. I want to sing a song for a body I saw crumpled and without a name, but clearly someone young who had not yet lived his life and never would. How shall I do this? What kind of song would serve such a purpose? This poem may never end. For what answers does it have for anyone in the distant, comfortable country simply looking on? Clearly, he had a weapon in his hands. I think he could have been no more than 20. I think whoever he was of whatever country, he might have been my brother were the world different. I think he would not have been lying there were the world different. I think if I had known him on his birthday, I would have made for him a great celebration. Which, like that, reading that now is incredibly arresting and it's, it's really interesting to see Oliver take this, the same sort of, I guess like transcendental approach, the sort of, or maybe Zen, interconnectedness, I don't know, I, I feel like at some point transcendentalism and, and that Zen sort of connectedness to all meet, meet somewhere. Um, but it's really interesting to see her to utilize that sort of awareness and like largesse of, of understanding and connection and attach it to, um, you know, like a person and a a topic that at the time was, you know, like really heavily weighted on the side against, you know, the Iraqis. Um, there was another one too. It's a it's I think the shortest poem in this collection. Um, oh, what was the name of it? I apologize. I did not. Uh, <laughs> I did not prepare as. <laughs> as well as I probably should have for this. Um, I can just flip through it until I find a really short poem. I, th- I want to say it's two lines. Um, 
And... Oh boy. This is riveting, riveting audio, I'm sure. How did I... Wow, I cannot... Of course, the poem that I want to find, I cannot actually find. And now that I'm on the clock, and this is more or less dead air, I apologize, but hopefully the uh, very light flicking of uh, pages in this book as I'm trying to find this poem. Wow, I can't find it. That's great. Anyway, essentially the, the poem, the gist of it is, you know, God obviously has a plan for the world, but what if his plan was for us to do better? Oh, wow. And of course, as soon as I say that, I find the poem. Um, so the title of this poem is uh, Watching a Documentary About Polar Bears Trying to Survive on the Melting Ice, or the Melting Ice Flows. And the poem is... That God had a plan, I do not doubt. But what if his plan was that we would do better? Um, which is, I mean, I guess you could say that Oliver's poems are uh, sort of intrinsically environmental because she spends most of her time out in the world, on walks, in nature, writing about the, sing the things that she sees. Um, but it feels... Most of my experience with that sort of uh, environmentalism um, is a more sort of personal, maybe more objective look at it. Um, that, you know, like death is always there, but it's not a... It's not a cruel thing that should be fought against. It's just part of the cycle. It's, you know, like there is there is glory and beauty and somberness and sadness and all of the things that, um, I don't know, aspects that could be attributed to God or some greater spirituality can be found in, in those moments. Um, but this one was struck me, again, sort of like the Iraq poem is a, is a overtly political. This struck me as overtly... Um, like reaching a little further out than I feel like she sometimes reaches. Um, and I'm curious now that after, after going back and rereading this collection, um, of going back and, and rereading uh, her other later collections, or collections in between uh, House of Light and DreamWorks and this one, um, and just maybe paying more attention. I mean, the, maybe the, the, the theme of this episode is to just... <laughs> pay attention to shit um because i of all the times that i read through the milkweed editions guidelines you know it wasn't until last night that i i saw who the the fellowship was really sort of intended for um and i don't remember really these poems in this collection when i read it the first time um which might be a test might be more a testament to uh the sort of power of of poetry and of collections and being able to find new things or things that at least speak to you in different ways each time that you return to a, um, to said collection. Um, some other sort of just stray observations about this, about Redbird. Um, it is a lot more... 
I feel like overtly or overtly spiritual, vaguely Christian. Um, there does feel sort of like a, I don't know, like transcendentalism combined with a sort of general paganism working throughout all of her collections of, you know, like, I was trying to, to find the, the way to say this in, in the writing sample, and I don't know if I did it justice, but the idea that instead of, like, at least how I was brought up to view God, you know, it's like it's a singular entity and sort of three different persons that exists, like, everywhere, you know, is omnipresent, is, is can be said to, to quote-unquote, be in maybe everything, or everything is an aspect of it, whatever. But with with Oliver, it feels like it is more directly that the world is God. Like the the aspects of the world are are God, and she she deals with this directly in um, straight talk from Fox. Um, this is towards the end of the poem. Um, where there's a there's a fox that she's imagining or she's personifying is talking to her and the fox is sort of like, uh, you know, at this point the fox says, um, don't think I haven't peeked into windows. I see you, I, uh, I see you in all your seasons making love, arguing, talking about God as if he were an idea instead of the grass, instead of the stars, instead of the rabbit caught in one good teeth whacking hit and brought home to the den. So even within that, there is this idea of like that God exists in these moments, in the moment of death, in at least death as it exists in the natural world, as as part of a part of the rhythms and part of the cycle and part of the 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 sort of flow of the world existing as it does, sort of outside of the control or the the power of humanity. Um, or at least the attempt of control and the power of humanity. Um, and that idea that, that I feel like so many... I don't know, I mean, well, I don't, I don't want to project this out to, to other Christians, but I, I feel like, at least for me, when I was growing up and very devoutly Christian, that like, I had this idea of God as a person. I tried to have... Uh, I tried my best to have an actual personal relationship to this, to this entity or this being, whatever you want to call it. Um, but it, it still, it did feel like there was, I was working on sort of an abstract or sort of an idea of, of a person or a relation or like hearing about a person a lot, but never directly encountering them. Whereas I think where Oliver existed in whatever spirituality she had or whatever beliefs that she held, uh, closer to what the Fox presented is the idea that like God is not like is not God is not omnipresent because he is everywhere or it is everywhere or whatever the the entity of God is is everywhere God is omnipresent because everything is God or God is everything I don't I don't know what what direction that the sort of transitive property of that moves but which feels to me more um more closely aligned with the sort of transcendentalism that, you know, like God exists, quote unquote, in everything or that, you know, like he, it, he, whatever, is in the grass, is the stars, is the wind, is the, the corn that you eat, is the, the owl, is the sparrow, is the, you know, is, is everything. Um, 
so it this collection feels like it is more despite the fact that it, it maintains that, that sort of that still sort of transcendental experience of of spirituality and of god it feels like it is more directly addressed there are more moments there are more moments of direct addressing to that that entity or that I, that that presence um in this collection than there are and i think in in other collections and there's there's one poem in here um where she mentions uh faith being a new friend so i'm i'm wondering um i wonder if her i wonder if and how her faith changed or her her belief system changed throughout her life um because i don't i don't know when her partner uh passed away but i do know that that uh, her partner passed away before she did because Mary Oliver died. Oh, geez, last no, the, this year, this January, I think it was January seventeenth. Um, so the the sort of um, I don't know, maybe resurgence in faith or faith to a a, a more uh, cohesive version of that faith might be. Uh, development out of like the the processing potentially the death of of her partner. I don't, that that is one hundred percent speculation. I honestly don't know. Um, aside from the sort of memoirs and stuff, the occasional memoir that that Oliver wrote, um, I know that she was sort of famously reclusive um, about her life. Um, so like it, that is one hundred percent speculation. I honestly don't know. Um, but the so that that level of spirituality is is a little more there um as is the sort of presence of death which is something that again the first time that i read it i don't like way 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 back when i first got the collection i don't think that i really noticed um but it is something that i have since noticed in oliver's writing since um and I think one of the reasons why DreamWorks and uh, House of Light speak to me so much is that, that there is a, a lingering on the edge of things, just this sort of presence of death, but not, like I mentioned before, not a death that is something that needs to be like fought against or is cruel or is calculated, but is just like, like things are born, things die, and that, you know, like the, the world the the natural world exists in a in a cycle of things you know of consumption things eat other things things are struggling to survive and the way that they survive is you know like the the owl picks off the the mouse the snapping turtle eats the ducklings the the heron you know there oh god there's a beautiful um, I don't know if I can find it. Um, and I don't want to waste any more time trying to find stuff, but um, the idea of um, like a heron um, spearing a fish, and she she mentions something that like death existing in such, like death arriving through such a narrow door. Um, is it? Oh yes. So fuck. Um, I'm just. I might just read. Spend most of the time just reading things from this. Um, 
So this is Night Herons, which is the strangely the the this poem in this collection is laid out in such a strange way. Um, so most of her every other poem that in this collection is a single uh, column. Um, some lines are longer than others. Some are indented. Whatever. Night Herons is two columns on a single page. I have no. This easily could have been stretched out into just a long, you know, a single column longish poem. But they they do it. I don't know if it's because it's a like it's a four lines standard repeating in stanzas. Um, but it's just it's weird. It every time that I encounter this poem, it's just the, the the way that it exists in this book is very very strange, and I don't know. I'm curious as to why they did this because it feels it feels too random to not be intentional. So regardless, this is night herons. Some herons were fishing in the robes of the night, at the low hour of the water's body. And the fish, I suppose, were full of fish happiness in those transparent inches, even as over and over the beaks jacked down and the narrow bodies were lifted with every quick sally. And that was the end of them, as far as we know. Though, what do we know except that death is so everywhere and so entire, pummeling and felling, or sometimes like this, appearing through such a thin door, one stab and you're through. And what then? Why, then it was almost morning, and one by one the birds opened their wings and flew. It's such, I don't, for such a long time I've struggled with the idea of, um, or the idea or the concept of, of death. Um, my life has been fortunately not uh, visited super often um, by directly by death um i mean i've had one pet um i had a pet cockatiel that that died um i was around for the final moments of a um of a baby nutria um i saw a pigeon get like just pulverized by a uh, an 18 wheeler um but like I've had friends who have had parents that died, but in like in my direct life, it, it hasn't visited me that often or really often at all in any any major way. Um, so it is something that it's been sort of captivating for me, um, just to think about it. Just the the idea of I mean, and now especially now that I'm not a Christian and I really have absolutely no idea what happens after after we die. Um, to just it's. I don't know. It's it's a thing that is also a, not super far away from my thoughts on a, in a given any given time. Um, and now that I live next to a graveyard, like it's, <laughs> it's sort of um, maybe not all the time, but um, a, a lot of the the poetry that I've been writing recently. I think I mentioned this in the episode with um, Jane Ludy that. Um, like writing about my relationship to my body for me the sort of the the logical conclusion of that is thinking about the body not being around or my body not being around anymore um but oliver writes death and i think 
experienced or saw death or had an awareness or an insight of death in a way that I, I, I would like to attain someday or I would like to, to really sit inside of um, eventually because it, it feels like it's so... I don't know, it feels emotionally honest that, that, there, that these moments are, you know, sad. You know, like, thing, that the, the ending of things, is, regardless of how it happens, is, is a sad thing. Um, but to, to be able to, to stand in those moments or, or stand in that presence and to, to have maybe the grace or the, I don't know, I don't know what what you would need to possess possess to to be able to 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 stand in that presence or stand in those moments and see it as a thing that like is a thing that happens and it's it's you know sometimes it's it's sad or it's tragic or you feel like it happened to a a, a person or an an animal or an, an a relationship whatever you know too soon but you know it's like to to be able to accept that 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 endings happen and that that's they're not the fact that things end is not it's not a bad thing um intrinsically is not a bad thing um but also to see death and i i feel like i've i've mentioned this throughout the episode to see death is 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 part of it that you know like you were you were born you you live and then at the end like that's the end that's the closing of the book it's the like the finishing of the story and that potentially a finishing of this version of the story and you know who knows what happens after um but to to see it and i this is again sort of um i mentioned like the the zen connectedness that this feels very um maybe not specifically zen but um like an a, a view of death that feels very against you know like western christian belief that like it's, it is not an unnatural thing. It's it's part of it's part of it. Like you don't you don't get to come into life and not have this thing waiting for you at the end of it. It's just that's, that's, that's part of it. Um, and it's it's a thing to be. I don't know, like not. I feel like it's like when when Oliver presents it or she writes about it. It's it's in such a way that she doesn't turn away from it she doesn't she doesn't romanticize it she doesn't anthropomorphize or give it qualities that feel like they don't exist in it she she, it feels like it's a reporter like this is the this is the thing that happens this is the way that it happens and it's not i don't know i mean I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really sure where I'm going with this. I, I still haven't really, I guess, solidified my own feelings on it. But there is, there is a, there's an understanding and a softness and a, um, I don't know, sort of like real talkness that I appreciate, which is, I sort of ironic that it feels both like soft and sort of like blunt or brusque real talk, that I appreciate in, in how Oliver writes about death. And there's one of the poems that I actually wanted to, or I was planning on reading tonight. Um, uh, is sort of about that, that the, um, the idea that, like, 
we get these hints or we see these aspects in the cycle of like that the the end that endings happen and that um, we should be prepared for them, which you know is the title of this poem we should be well prepared uh, the way the plovers cry goodbye the way the dead fox keeps on looking down the hill with open eye the way the leaves fall and then there's a long wait the way someone says we must never meet again the way mold spots the cake the way sourness overtakes the cream the way the river waters rush by never to return the way the days go by never to return the way somebody comes back but only in a dream that i i don't know there's a a very naturalistic or maybe unadorned is the a better way to describe it that there's it feels like and I feel like Oliver mentions this, or the way that she writes about it is that, like, she doesn't know what God is. She doesn't know what death is. There's, I don't know if I can find this one either. Um, uh, there is, I think, a long... Um, eh, whatever. The line is that, um, I don't know what God is, or death, but... I, uh, I believe between them there's oh man I'm gonna get it wrong uh, I hate not being able to remember exactly the oh no I did so this is a uh, one of two sort of numbered poems in the collection called Sometimes um, and this is at the end of the, the towards the end of the or I guess I'll read just number one um, something came up out of the dark it wasn't anything I, I had ever seen before it wasn't an animal or a flower, unless it was both. Something came up out of the water, a head the size of a cat, but muddy and without ears. I don't know what God is. I don't know what death is. But I believe they have between them some fervent and necessary arrangement. Which is interesting that, that in, in the, the straight talks from the fox that there is like the fox sort of implies that there is that God exists in these moments of death. And then in this poem, there is a sort of implication that they are two separate things, um, which makes me think of, of Neil Gaiman's um, Sandman graphic novels that like there are entities for sort of different representations of stuff. Um, and death is one of them as is dream and destruction and uh, what is it? Despair. Uh, desire and the light which turned into delirium and destiny yeah I think that's all seven of them um, but I, that idea that that at least in, in this section of the poem that there is like God as a thing and then death potentially as a thing and that they might be separate things but there is there is some there's something that works between them um, but yeah I don't, I don't know I, I feel like there is I don't know I there's there's something about the way that she writes about death that feels truer to me than a lot of other people that I've I've read things about death um, 
Although there is a collection that I have that is sort of the um, that I've been I've been meaning to read, and it's on it's this one's def definitely on my on my list, and will probably re be reviewed at some point later in the future. Um, that was written sort of in the grieving process of uh, a, a dear friend and a mentor of the the poet who wrote the collection um, passing away. So I'm interested to see that that sort of. I don't know. There's like there's a, an understanding, but a sort of distanced uh, relationship that M Oliver seems to have with death, um, which might, in a weird way, be that like because it's so intimate, it feels like it can be that casual. Versus that other collection, um, I think it's called the Death Tractates. I think that's it's like Brenda Hillman. I want to say I'll I'll put a, a link. To to the book in the description of this of this episode, um, but I'm I'm interested to see like the represent or the relationship to death sort of in the in the immediately in the grieving process of of someone passing away versus a you know like being going out for a walk and, and watching you know like a, a hawk pick pick out or pick off a you know a morning dove. Um, but um, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't know really what else to say. Um, oh, so I think I don't believe that this collection, that Redbird, um, like, was a major influence on my leaving of Christianity. Um, but I definitely think that within the within the splinters and the sort of cracks that had begun to show up in my faith, I feel like this book did a lot to, in its own its own small way, widen them a little bit, um, especially in in how Oliver uh, Oliver's relationship with God, the quote unquote God. Um, exists in this collection because it's it would also be interesting to me um, that if this collection was written sort of on the cusp of a, a reawakening or a, a solidification or a, a changing in or a coherence in Oliver's faith, um, and yet had it played a role as minor as that might have been in my own sort of dissolution of, of that faith. Um, but at, towards the end of, of my stint with Christianity, I was definitely moving into a more transcendental space. Um, I wanted to try to experience God sort of everywhere, um, like actively everywhere and like not rely on church to be the place that I, I sort of communed with him. Um, I also had a moment, um, I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast before, but there was a moment towards the, uh, maybe like a year or two before I, I finally sort of jettisoned out of Christianity, um, that like I hadn't been going to church in a while because I, I used to um, drive Every weekend, I would drive from Lafayette back to my parents' place in New Orleans um, on, like, Friday night. And then Sunday, sort of midday, would drive back to Lafayette. Um, so for the first maybe, like, year and a half or so when I was living in Lafayette, I didn't, 
I didn't have a church to go to in Lafayette because I wasn't there on Sunday mornings. And then most of the time, Sunday mornings when I was at home, um, it'd be doing homework or, you know, like hanging out with my family. And then so that um, I didn't, wasn't really adhering or wasn't really going to the church that I had, I had been going to in New Orleans. So I'd been at a church for a while, um, wasn't really reading the Bible. Um, but I had a, a Christian friend in my linguistics class who had gave me sort of an open invitation or standing invitation to join her at church if I happened to be in, in Lafayette on Sunday morning. Um, and the longer that I was in Lafayette, the sort of less uh, less frequent I went back to New Orleans. I mean, I still, I, instead of it being every weekend, it was like every couple of weekends. Um, so there was one Sunday morning that I was in Lafayette. Um, I was awake early enough that I could conceivably go to this service and I found out that it was literally down the road from my apartment. So I messaged my friend, um, got the exact time of when she was going to be there and then went to the service. And for the life of me, I cannot remember what the pastor was giving a sermon on, but I know that he was... uh, building up to these sort of three big points that he, you know, like he had the, he had the one point or he had, he would give some like an overview sort of, of it was the, it was the overview of the sermon and then some evidence or some, some stuff and then point one and then evidence or whatever, point two and then blah, 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 and point three. And when he got to point three, I had a very weird almost out-of-body experience, um, maybe as close to an out-of-body experience as I've, I've had, where time sort of felt like it slowed down and I had this weird image of viewing, like, seeing myself in a, in a more stylized building of a church and then seeing myself outside of that, that building or that church and coming, the, coming to the conclusion that the three points that he had arrived at, I had come to those exact same three points like a week or two beforehand, having not been at church or read the Bible in over a year. And I, there was a, it was a really surreal moment when I, I suddenly just immediately I shifted from viewing church as this sort of necessity that there was a, a, a requirement of an aspect of my faith to viewing it as, oh, this is like a dictionary. This is like a reference tool. Similarly with the Bible too, that like it's there if I need it, but if I don't need it, then I don't, you know, like I don't often spend time with a dictionary or a thesaurus unless I need to find the definition of a word or I need to find a synonym. Um, And that's uh, so after that point, that's how I viewed like church and reading the Bible, and sort of on the heels of that was the decision. It's like, well, if I'm not going to be in church anymore, then I want to try to experience God sort of in everywhere and in everything. And having a an established poet existing in a similar space to that felt. Um, I felt like I was walking into a space that, I like maybe not exactly this, but it, it felt akin to like being able to buy your like family 
cabin that you vacation at or your family home or whatever. That it's a space that you that feels really familiar, but that you can walk in and you can sort of occupy in a, in a way that that makes it feel more yours, like more intrinsically yours. Um, and I think. Once I once I left Christianity, uh, there was a a time where I didn't write, and I was actually petrified that like if if my poetry was liter- literally given to me by God, if I stepped away from the God that gave me my poetry, what would happen? And for maybe like geez, maybe like half a year or so after I left Christianity, I didn't write anything, and then the words came again, um, and when the words showed up again. Um, it was also nice to have sort of a to to have a person that I had developed a relationship with that I felt still felt strongly towards and strongly about their writing as this like as that teacher to fill up that space of um, you know like I'm I'm uncertain now. Like after leaving Christianity, I was immediately it's like I don't know all of these assurances or all these things that I thought were for sure. Uh, I are totally up in the air now, and I'm I really I have to make peace with not being certain. Um, and that seeing that in in Oliver and seeing the sort of the sort of qualifications of the like addressing God or Lord or whatever outright, but still having moments of like Oliver saying, I don't know what God is. I have no fucking clue. Um, I feel like allowed me to transition into a place of more or less accepting or maybe just being resigned to uncertainty. Um, and even poetry in general that like it, because it's ambiguous and because it's open to, to interpretation and it's so subjective to you that like the making learning those lessons of like I have to make the meaning of this for myself like if I want there to be a meaning it has to be a thing that comes from me it, it, I, I can't look outside of myself to find meaning or find purpose or find whatever which I think ultimately helped me um, sort of establish that you know the the I mean, in a in a sort of roundabout way, and I won't I won't get into this now. I'm sure that it will come up in an, another episode. That the sort of solidification of my internal landscape and viewing it as an internal landscape instead of uh, like a missing part of me or a missing thing. That the having been trained and sort of in the habit of realizing that I can't look outside of myself that I have to look inside of myself to develop meaning and develop purpose for my life that if there was anything that was missing or I felt was missing it it didn't exist out in the world it was something that existed in me and then if it was if it existed in me then it couldn't be missing and then well if it's not missing then what is what is this space and then realizing it's like oh it's just there's just a prairie inside of me and it's space and it's a thing to be explored and to wander. You know, it's like a, it's a place to take walks in. Like I take walks around my neighborhood. Um, and that, that sort of insistence or that sort of getting into that, that habit of, of looking in, inside and finding these things inside of me was, I can trace 100% directly from 
Oliver, that, that, you know, there is a, that she spent so much of her time out in the world and out in nature viewing these things, but there is such a, an intimate and like intimate, the point of like casual or almost familial relationship that she has with, with the world that it feels like she is so internalized. It's like, there's so much, there's so much joy and so much gratitude and so much light and brightness that is lavished on her light on her life that she is internalized so much that she can and does claim it as, as her own. And like both are and both are true. Same thing with like with death or God that there are these states that feel sort of opposed to each other that can exist and in a weird way sort of complement each other. That there is there is all this all of this brightness and all this light in her life that she has taken in and, and internalized and and calls her own and both are true um and they influence each other and they they grow into and from and influence each other and you know it's like it it's that cycle that's you know another another aspect of of that cycle and i don't know like i Of all the poets that I've that I've encountered, um, that I've been attracted to, or felt some kinship with, or felt some some innate connection to, um, there is no poet yet that has unseated Oliver in that in that position for me. Of like, if there was a poet that I could hope to write like, or at least maybe not, I don't want to be Mary Oliver, but I want to. I want to be influenced as much as I can to see not maybe not the world exactly how she how she saw it but to use her sight and her influence and her her presence to to like graft on to my own sight and awareness and crack it open to be to be mindful and to be aware and to pay attention as closely as she did maybe not in the same ways that she did because you know, no one sees the world exactly like anyone else, but to be, to be in those positions to, and in those moments to be aware and to be connected and to be mindful and to be attentive, to find like my own things that I notice and, um, you know, and write about and internalize and, um, can, can bring to the world and to, can, that was there's a moment in uh, another poem, um, and then I will I'll read the I think the one that I want to close things off with, um, which again of course I won't I won't be able to find. Well, I, bleh. Um, the I feel like the gist of it is that your oh it's the it's uh, part four of the uh, poem that the first section ended with. Uh, I don't know what God is. I don't know what death is, but I believe they have between them they have some fervent and necessary arrangement. Uh, part four is instructions for living a life. Pay attention. Be astonished. Tell about it. I feel like I am... I'm getting better at paying attention. I'm getting better at telling about it. I feel like I still need to work on being astonished. Um, and that's, that's maybe something else that 
I, I can say that will be a nice segue into, into the last poem that I, I want to read. Um, that there is so much delight and joy that Oliver seems to wring from life or that she, she experiences. Um, and I know that, you know, it can't be joy and it can't be bright and it can't be, you know, like sunlight in an afternoon in a meadow all the time that there will be clouds there will be rain there will be coldness there will be darkness you know, it's like again it's all all aspects of of a life um but i feel like she does such an amazing job at being joyful and being curious and being surprised and being just like overcome and overwhelmed with the like the bounty and the glory of just things of things being alive of just life itself um that i i don't think i've gotten there quite yet at least not in my poetry um i know for sure not in my poetry um and it's it's i don't know i i, mean, I guess in a weird way it feels to me like it would be more vulnerable to for me to write those moments than it would be to write moments that are like smallly sad because I'm I'm there most of the time, um, and I'm I'm very rarely in the the sort of energy space to be like that joyful or that happy or that excited or that like just gaga over something, um, and that's. I mean, thinking and talking about it now, it's, I think, a thing that I should work at. Um, because there's, I mean, as, as much as there is shit in the world to be upset about and outraged and angry about and depressed about and sad about, I think that there are things that in the world to be excited and be joyful and be grateful for and be, like, explosively passionate about. Um... And I think on that note, I'm going to end with uh, Invitation, which ends in a way that I feel like only Oliver could have pulled off. Um, so anyway, here's Invitation. Oh, do you have time to linger for just a little while out of your busy and very important day for the goldfinches that have gathered in this field of thistles for a musical battle to see who can sing the highest note or the lowest, or the most expressive of mirth, or the most tender. Their strong, blunt beaks drink the air as they strive melodiously, not for your sake, and not for mine, and not for the sake of winning, but for sheer delight and gratitude. Believe us, they say, it is a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in this broken world. I beg of you, do not walk by without pausing to attend this rather ridiculous performance. It could mean something. It could mean everything. It could be what Rilke meant when he wrote, You must change your life. <laughs>